ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. So it's almost the end of another year uh, from your friends at Books of the Year. However, we do have some more books to tantalize and tease you with, even though, strictly speaking, this isn't really a, a book of 2020 because it's not out until 2021. But uh, we're going to go with it anyway because C.K. McDonnell is responsible for a book called The Stranger Times. C.K. is on the line, also known as Queeve. Well, we're going to call him Queeve. But it says C.K. McDonald on the cover. I think that's suitably confused everybody. <laughs> Hello, Queeve. How are you? I'm very well. If you want to suitably confuse everybody, you can get them to guess how to spell Queeve, and that will take up the entire <laughs> show. What, and what does the K stand for? Um, ge- genuinely, uh, Queeve is short for Queeveen, which is the original in Gaelic of Kevin. Um, so I'm also, you know, known as Kevin. So when, when my agent got the thing, he put, I had C slash K on it. And then he just went CK, and he basically misread it and went, "Oh, we'll just use that. That sounds, that sounds quite nice." Um, so yes, that's that's why they're doing it, basically, because what, what right, okay, so we're terrified of Quive as a name, understandably so. So it's like J.K. Rowling, C.K. McDonnell. It's the it's on the one hand and on the other. Yeah, it, it, it has a nice bounce to it. I guess that's probably what I guess what it is. Yeah, it, it makes you sound mysterious if you've got a lot of initials going on. It's like you've lived a life, <laughs> you know that way. Uh, okay, Matt, describe the cover, please, of uh, of our latest book of the year. Now, obviously, the book that I've got is a press preview, but I'm going to guess because it's such a strong cover that this is the cover that you're going to see in your shops from January. And that is, and, and Queeve, you will jump in if I get this wrong. But we've got on a, on a red background, we've got a uh, black and white sort of sketch drawing of a bottle and the Stranger Times in, in black bold uh, across that bottle. But little white figures... Um, which once you read the story, you'll understand what why they're doing what they're doing. But one of them cycling, one of them's apparently falling from the top of the bottle, and and there's an upside down car on the S of Stranger Times. And uh, below that, what if the weird news is the real news? C.K. McDonald in white. Okay, there you go. There's a very very literalist uh, description of uh, the, the, uh, the latest book for, for from the Books of the Year pod. Uh, so, Queeve, what on earth is or are the Stranger Times? Well, basically, the idea was, is I'm sort of a little bit obsessed with weird news, that kind of 40 in times type of thing. And I always have been. And I kind of had this idea for ages where the idea is the newspaper re- reports weird and wonderful news from all around the world, all manner of paranormal stuff. And it's not that they believe all these things, if you such, but it's just like, again, like 14 times they report all these things. Um, 
And it just get kind of a thought, to be honest, the real news got so weird that you might as well just use the weird news as the real news. And that's very much, that's, it's a very sort of 2020 book in that regard. When you, yes, so the 14 times, I think it will come to many people's mind as soon as they start reading these stories. But it's sort of like a down and dirty kind of low rent version. Like the 14 times is sort of quite erudite in comparison. Oh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is very, you know, it's, it's kind of much more of the, the tabloid version. It's obviously, it's it's set in Manchester, uh, where I live. And um, yeah, the idea is very much like the it, newspaper is, its editor is um, Vincent Bancroft, who was the dark prince of tabloid world. And then things went very wrong for him in his life. And he ended up uh, basically being drunk in charge of this newspaper because it was the only thing left to, to him. So it's it's very much the lower end of the scale, yes. Okay, so he's the guy in charge. Tell us about Hannah Willis. Or is that her name, really? Anyway, tell us about Hannah, who, who we arrive with at the, start of, at the start of the book. Yeah, Hannah Godlover's having a bit of a tough time. She's, she's going through a messy divorce after, with her philandering husband, and um, she sort of ended up accidentally bringing herself to national prominence because she did the, the classic trick of the, uh, trying to burn her husband's suits in the back garden, but unfortunately the wind changed and she burnt down her own house. So uh, she became accidentally famous because of that. And she's basically determined to strike out on her own and, and sort of set herself up in her own life. And after she just missed out on her dream job, she ends up sort of at the Stranger Times by accident. And uh, she ends up as the assistant editor, which is a role that um, so many people have had. They keep referring to all the people who've had it by the same name as the person who had it about a year ago because they keep rolling through because it's an impossible job to have because of who the boss is. I saw it described as a supernatural thriller, which is kind of half, I mean, that's half, Right, but it doesn't really get to the to the humour which runs all the way through this. So, uh, where where would you file this, Cueve? It's tricky because they have all these sort of weird words like urban fantasy and this, that, and the other. I mean, it's it's very much. I guess it is a it's a thriller in the sense that the story moves along reasonably fast, but obviously there's a, there's a lot of humour in it. I mean, it's kind of the best comparisons people have is sort of somewhere between Ben Aranovich's Rivers of London, Terry Pratchett, who's a massive influence on me so it's that kind of area so it's very much driven by the story but the, the humor sort of comes along with the story if you like pratchett is certainly in there one of the main places i was thinking of Cueve was taika watiti and what we do in the shadows and that kind of um that kind of feel that kind of comedy that sense of drama what is, is that getting close yeah, that's that's a very good idea, that the feel of it. Yeah, it is kind of taking that sort of world and taking a fresh look at it. Because I think that's, again, there's, there's so much in that kind of world. And it's I thought it was just a, a really the most fun part of writing the book. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on the sequel and stuff now. It's kind of taking things you've sort of seen exactly like that, like the traditional idea of what a vampire was and taking a practical look at it, if you like, in a weird way where they still have to live in a sort of real-ish kind of world and combining the two of them and the kind of natural, I think the humour naturally comes from taking those kind of concepts and just playing them up against the, side, the real world and what it would actually be like if those people really did live in our world. So Matt, here's, here's the thing. There was, yeah. I got a page 19 before I thought, um, I think Matt's going to like this bit and I bet he's <laughs> laughed out loud at this point. And yeah. it's the bit down towards the end of page 19. Where, okay. Uh, and I quote, she extended her hand. Hannah moved across to shake it. This is about uh, a woman called Grace. Um, she noticed a couple of framed pictures on the desk, one of Jesus, the other of Philip Schofield. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I thought, okay, we're in here. I like this. Boom. Yes, yes. Take 
No, I, 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 I really enjoyed this, uh, Queeve. And right, so, so there's a great sequence. Um, it's a hundred, hundred odd pages in, where this newspaper that Hannah has started working for, they have one day a month where they allow anyone to come in through the doors and tell them about supernatural events that they believe they've uh, either witnessed or heard about. And uh, for for quite obvious reasons, quite a majority of these stories are complete bunk. But um, I, as I was reading that sequence, and Hannah is sort of having to put up with it and uh, rolling her eyes a huge amount, although obviously for the purposes of the story, there is at least one of those stories that turns out to have quite a lot of uh, of weight to it. It struck me as I was reading it that I thought 2020 has just been this unbelievable year where if if we'd sort of been having this conversation a year ago and I was to tell you, do you know what? People are going to spend most of this year uh, holed up in their homes and when they go outdoors, they're going to be wearing masks and, you know, all of all of these dreadful things are going to happen. That would have belonged in the world of sci-fi and yet it obviously came came to came to reality. So I suppose my question to you Kuiv is is how on earth do you write fiction in a in a in a world where we've just had the year that we've had? Oh honestly it's a very good because big part of the book is there's uh, articles from the newspaper are, are sort of dotted throughout them to kind of give you a feel of the newspaper in between chapters. And honestly a lot of those now look very tame to what the actual <laughs> news is. I mean it re- it really is when you think about it, I mean not to make like of anything but we all know like Bats are now a huge part of the discussion of the world that we now live in. And even like things like QAnon and all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, weirdly, when you look at how close those things have become to the reality we now live in, where I think there's a member of Congress or something now who actually believes in that. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it is. It's The real challenge is, genuinely, you couldn't make up stuff that's weirder than the things that have really happened. Um, and it's it's such an odd experience when you see the world go go so much like that. But in a weird way, because like I said, I'm a fan of the weird little news from around the world. And in a, in a year when the news is so, you know, grim, I've been talking to someone else about this and we're saying kind of reading stuff like like some guy getting taken up by a UFO when Robbie Williams was already there. That was reported in the, in the newspapers. I'm pretty sure it was a guy from Hull a couple of months ago. And it was just the, the thing that Robbie Williams was up in the UFO with him. That's the thing that makes it brilliant. And honestly, those kind of stories, you don't have to believe them, but there's something joyful about them just existing in the world. Absolutely, I, I have to say those. I love those little sort of newspaper articles that you um, drop in during the book. And what they made me think of most is I'm a huge fan of uh, Viz, and those kind of articles would come up in Viz all the time. But as you say, you read them now and go, "Oh, that's nothing. Oh, trust me, that is nothing compared to me picking up my newspaper right now." Um, so, Queen. So, um, here's the other thing that that um, jumped out at me as. I was reading it, is that I and I think it if memory serves, it's Hannah you have asked this question, which is why are so many people convinced that the government is out to get them? And that rang a bell given what we're going through now. And I'm obviously thinking of what's been happening with the US elections, but I'm also thinking on a far well, certainly uh, as far as we're concerned, far more closer to home. And that is um some people's uh um, doubting whether they want to get the vaccine because they feel that the vaccine is going to allow the government to track them, which is absolute, obviously, 
utter bunk. And given that they're using their phones, which of those two things do you think are most likely to track you, your phone or a vaccine in your body? But it it did it it did throw up that quote. Why are people so convinced that the government is just is is out to get them? I think it's one of these because honestly, I've sort of always been again fascinated by conspiracy theories and stuff. Not that I've ever sort of believed them, but I think that's the kind of the fourteen way of thinking about it. Almost is the fact that these things are happening are in themselves the really interesting thing. And honestly, I think a large part of it is is that the, if the world's scary, you don't understand what's going on. If you can come up with something that explains the world, like a theory that you put on the world, and then you understand what's really happening, people find an odd comfort in that. There's like I think it's that's something that they've increasingly found in research is people need to be able to imprint some kind of understanding of the world on, and you know, frankly, maybe religion was a much bigger part of people's lives before than than it is now. So that used to be how people saw the world. And I think increasingly now, basically, religions have maybe been pushed to the side for a lot of people and things like that become more prominent because everybody needs some kind of belief system to to make the world seem like it makes sense to them, I guess. And if you want an idea of the kind of headlines uh, that The Stranger Times has, well, these are displayed in frames. uh, Nessie is the father of my child. Virgin Mary halts terrorist attack and Switzerland doesn't exist. (laughs) Now, that's going to be some crazed conspiracy theory queef to try and tie all those things together. But I think you people get the idea uh, of the kind of world you're living in here. Yeah, it's the kind of world where those sort of beliefs are, are, are knocking around. And again, you know, we do live in a world where it's the, the weird thing is an increasing amount of people believe it's flat. I think that the really scary thing in that sentence is the word increasing. It seems like we're losing that argument about the world being round, which is <laughs> is the scariest thing you can think of that people have sort of gone, no, I've seen what evidence you have and I don't, I don't believe it. Queef, well, so 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 now you're now you're here and you're on this pod as opposed to your pod, which I want to talk to you about in a moment. Can we start our own conspiracy theory? Oh yeah, I mean, to be <laughs> this is a great idea myself because I, I was a stand-up comedian in my former life, and um, yeah, I've I've had ideas about this before. But what I did, what's your particular conspiracy? What what would, what would you like to get rolling? Simon Mayer, what group do you think are secretly running the world? Love to hear this. Go. Um, I would say um, it's it, Etonians who also went to Oxford. See, that, that's not the really problem is... with that is that's too obvious. That's like, okay. That's even Etonians are going to go, yeah, we are. Yeah, of course we are. Let's start. Let's start. What, if, if, who do you think is secretly running the world? I think it's the east side of England because I use gig as a stand-up comedian, right? And I went all around the country and like... Basically, there's like, but all due respect, and this is going to lose me some sales, but I'm going to say it. Um, there's like Norwich there, uh, and there's there's not a lot else. Like there's there's vast wow. bits of it where there okay. doesn't seem to be that much, and I'm slightly suspicious as to what's going on. I mean, it looks very nice when you drive through it, but I was like, I don't understand. Like, there's a lot. Like, I live in the northwest. There's a lot around here. Whatever you say, good or bad, no one can say the northwest isn't full of lots of stuff. Um, and, you know, obviously there's London and stuff, but I'm slightly suspicious as to what's going on over there. What about you uh, two? Do you think that they actually might be at the heart of everything? Yeah. Um, I did. Well, I mean, it's an interesting theory. I mean, let's be clear. At least one of them thinks he definitely is. Um, <laughs> um, I can't say which one, but have a guess. Um it would explain a lot, all right, because um, I mean they've been. He's in the, He's always in the room where it happens. He is, isn't he? He's the room where it there. happens. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, oh yeah, Bono's I mean, he's, oh hello. Yeah, I mean, he's basically, I mean, any kind of world event, uh, Bono pops up. It's gonna, it just feels at some point the world's gonna have like it's building up to one of those sort of end of season climaxes where you go, ah, I understand now. This was building to this. I'm just gonna crowbar the conversation back to your book, um, if you, if you don't mind. Um, I I can't remember whose observation this was, Queeve, but I think it works for your book and any adaptation that may well be coming down the track. Is that uh, you seem to pay a lot of attention to the smaller parts. And uh, the issue of who else works at The Stranger Times, I think, is worth asking you because uh, often when books are successfully adapted either to the television or to the bigger screen, it's the smaller parts and the attention to detail and character which has gone in to the original book. And I think you have uh, enjoyed writing the cast just behind Vincent uh, and Hannah, tell us about some of the other characters there. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely do. Thank you very much. Because it's, it's, I think characters are, are really the the core of anything, particularly if you're doing if you're a book that's kind of going to be funny. Because good comedy comes out of the characters. It doesn't come out of like trying to shoehorn jokes in. Um, so there's uh, Grace, who is uh, the office manager, shall we say, who is a sort of Mancunian, um, Mancunian Ghanaian mix. She's sort of loosely based on my mother-in-law which is a dangerous thing to admit in, in public, which I, I'm already regretting, but I've, I've said it now. Um, but basically, yeah, so that she's she's a wonderful woman, sort of, you know, she's a Ghanaian and she speaks the very distinctive way. I know a lot of Ghanaians because obviously my, my wife is second generation. So that, there's that kind of character. And I think basing it on people you kind of know gives it just gives it that little bit of warmth. So there's Grace, there's Ox, who is a proper Mancunian, um, who's the guy who's sort of the UFO guy who believes in all the conspiracy theories and thinks that everybody's out to get him. There's uh, Reginald, who is the, the guy who believes in ghosts, who freaks out at every deadline. He's he's the guy who, quite early on in the book, we've discovered that he's trying to jump off the building because he has to go to a meeting with his boss and he can't take the pressure of it. And it turns out, not to give too much away, but he does that every week because it's the same meeting every week. Um, And then there's Stella, who's a young girl who works there who, who sort of ended up, uh, she has a bit of a history behind her, which we gradually get a sort of hint of throughout the book and will sort of go on in future books. But um, she sort of ended up working there because she got caught trying to break into the building um, and basically got the choice of being sent to the police or becoming their uh, protégé. So she now the protégé. because the, And the building, even the character itself, the, the, the building itself is actually an old church in Manchester, um, which I deliberately use because there's a lot of old churches in Manchester and I was walking around a lot. And they have wonderful sort of a vibe to them, as all the Manchester does. That's why I wanted to write a book in Manchester, because it has that feel. Um, so even the church itself. And then finally in the church, there's um, uh, we have the, the printer of the thing, Manny, who is a Rastafarian, who we find out has some very peculiar traits later on in the book without giving too much away. Now, you've already indicated the fact this is the... The, f- the first book, and you were talking about then other books. So how did you conceive this as a series? Or was the reaction from, you know, do your publishers love you so much that they made you sort of sell your soul for a six-book deal? Uh, well, they sort of, they, I think I kind of, I always like the idea of the series. So, because all of my favorite, a lot of my favorite books are a series like that. So I guess it's one of those things, once I'd finished writing the book, I kind of knew fairly sort of halfway through that I really enjoyed these characters and there was going to be a lot of stuff to kind of go on with. So I guess it was always there, the idea of doing it, because I think people do enjoy following um, 
you know, bands of people through something like this. So I think it was always going to be. And then it was sort of building the world around it has been so much fun. Because the great thing about writing in this kind of area is there's just so many places you can go. And I've got so many ideas I want to explore with them. Is it true that it originally was going to be a sitcom? Was that the was that the first birthing place for this? Well, originally, I actually wrote it as a sitcom. It must have been about 15 or 20 years ago. Um, and I gave it to my then agent, uh, who honestly, I think, just didn't get it at all. Because um, weirdly, like a lot of the, the first chapters that people sort of seem to really quite like, um, that was basically in the sitcom, as far as I can remember. Annoyingly, I can't find that script now. But yeah, I wrote it ages ago. And then I sort of had the idea. And then it, then a couple of years ago, it kind of popped back into my head. Um, and I literally, I, I got up in the morning, got into the shower, and then I, I walked to my office in Manchester. And by the time I'd gone through that process, I'd gone from, oh, yeah, just vaguely remembering the idea to go and write. I'm writing this book and it's going to be in Manchester. But yeah, it was way back in the day. It did start off as a, as a sitcom that's somewhere been lost in the annals of time. I, I also want to talk about the sort of attention to detail that you've you've um, conjured up here, Queeve. And that is, and this is going to sound like an odd thing for me to have noticed in the book, but it did leap out at me. And that was the, um, the A, the uh, use of donuts for bribery, which I think absolutely rings a bell for anyone. If anyone walks into an office with lots of donuts and comes to your desk and offers you a donut then you're pretty much going to do whatever that person tells you to do on the on the understanding that once you've taken the donut they they are owed a favor the other is what kind of biscuit do you want to provide people that doesn't insult them but also doesn't make them want to keep coming back for more biscuits and and Queeve, you will now tell us what the answer is to that what is the kind of biscuit that's not insulting but also isn't so enticing that only people will want to come back for your biscuits well, now this is, I mean, this will get, you will get record numbers of complaints, let me tell you right now, because uh -huh. this is a conversation people get very angry about. Um, like the book isn't officially out yet. I've had emails from several people suggesting that what, what, what the right biscuit is. Because, I mean, I think chocolatey and stuff like that. If you go in the chocolate and the Bourbons and stuff like that, because basically the idea is here, you want people to sort of feel like they've had a biscuit and not been insulted, but not want to come back again. Um, so the chocolates are out. They're too nice. Yeah. Um, you got to be careful what I think. I think we ended up at ginger nut. I think is the one you gave Correct. people that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like a biscuit, but I mean, nobody's. Is it anyone's favorite biscuit? I don't think so. Well, I would I, say it's a second favorite. I do, I do like a a proper a decent ginger nut, and I wondered if maybe you could have sent some out as a as a <laughs> as a promo, but I noticed you haven't. <laughs> we, we well, I mean, let's think. Yeah. We actually made the mistake of doing a, an eight-page version of the actual newspaper, but in hindsight, biscuits would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> yes! <laughs> biscuits and donuts. There you go. Get yeah. on loads of podcasts. If, really. if there's one thing people like getting in the mail, it's crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say, Dermot O'Leary, he's he's another one. I reckon he's he's almost... Oh, right, we're back to them. Pulling the, pulling the, yeah. <laughs> It's just, it just occurred to me. He's almost certainly pulling the strings. He's on every TV show. Yeah. He's he's a, he's on every commercial. He's yeah. part of that lottery, and the lottery is certainly yeah. kind of an evil cabal Think kind of empire it. thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if we're going like that, then Rome Ashrang and Nathan is. I love him. He's a lovely man, but he's he's on telly quite a bit. Rom now, bless uh, him. Yes. But he is. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's distinctly there could be those possibilities. All right. I mean, Anton Deck. You've got actually. Do you know what Anton Deck? Let's be honest. There's your evil masterminds right there. Wow. I mean, how wow. many times have they won the same award right in a row now? Is it like 20 times? 
they've been winning that award since one of the, before one of them was born. That can't be right. <laughs> that's true, and it's always the people's vote, isn't it? They, well, they claim it's the people's vote, yeah. but uh, yes. that sounds. Yes, uh, and who would ever query a people's vote? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, no, yeah. That's, that's never <laughs> I mean, that'd be a world gone mad. <laughs> There's a showbiz cabal, because I think Graham Norton and Jeremy Vine are almost certainly at the heart of this, because every time you see Jeremy Vine, you know that he is in charge. I'm just so, so looking just forward to these clips going on, going on Twitter yeah. and then being taken out of context. And... These also, yeah. Can we just say Jeremy Vine and Tim Vine are not only in charge, they're actually both parts of the same entity. There you go. Let's throw that out there because that will really mess with people's heads. <laughs> I want to, I just want to, I want to mention your podcast, Queeve, because um, you've got all kind. you, you, you're clearly so taken with this kind of 14 times world of weird stuff going on that you've come up with some fantastic little stories um which i've been which i've been listening to um all read by your comedy mates Pro- i don't know whether you've paid them at all but I, my I, guess I is have that you creative people should be paid simon i have indeed paid okay. them. i mean badly let's be clear on that but i have paid them. okay so can i before you tell us about those i just want to say with relation to one of the stories that if anybody left me with a damaged wooden heart and then left, I'd run a mile because they're weird. I just want to say that. Okay. Well, I mean, so you it's, have... I mean you're, not, you're not a romantic, mate. You've got to be. That's that was a you know, that was that was that was my my wife's favourite ever story. That um, I don't know what that says. It's yes. probably not a good thing. <laughs> but but yeah, yes. but, but it does undermine the whole concept of the podcast because there's nothing weird going on in that story. But yeah. anyway, just, so 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 these it it just feels as though you're in a in a very creative groove. You've got so much weird stuff going on in your head that you can't fit in the book that you're firing them out left, right, and center, and they're and they're turning up in the podcast. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, yeah, the podcast, to be honest, has been a great fun. Really, where it came from was, um, as I said, we had I'd sort of written the book and it was all edited and things like that, and, and then, frankly, twenty twenty happened, and there was a lot of places I was supposed to be where it wasn't. Uh, so all of a sudden, I was sitting in my office in the back of the garden, and, and me and the dog, and um, I just had all these ideas, and I thought, well, couldn't take a break from writing novel. I couldn't from you know in the normal way that people would no- other years. So I thought I'm going to go on a sort of mental holidays. I'm going to start writing some short stories for myself, and I just started doing. I was going to do a couple, ended up doing a couple more. It sort of got frankly out of hand. I may have a problem, and then um, I just decided to, to do something with these. I got friends of mine from the comedy circuit. Um, and a lot of them haven't narrated stuff before, but they're stand-up comedians, so they kind of came with it a really fresh way. And there's ones coming up, they're even done with people who've never narrated a thing in their life, and they're just so much fun. And you're kind of giving somebody a story, and they're really running with it and making it their own, and it's been great. And, and yeah, this, the, the Stranger Times podcast has been so much fun. I mean, the great thing about it as well is it feels like it's building the whole world around the thing. Like I'm now, you know, writing the second book because it's, you know, as, as these things happen in publishing and it just feels like there's so much in the world because of the short stories where you can try out little ideas and build things out. And I think hopefully, I know if pe- people are geeks like me, they love kind of finding out more about the world and all these little extra things like that. So hopefully that the podcast will be there for a while and people will keep coming, dipping in and out and, and sort of finding out more about the world of the book. You dedicate. We mentioned Manchester a number of times, and you dedicate the book to Manchester. Well, certainly this this proof copy that Matt and yeah. I have got. You said to Manchester for, for the magic and mayhem. Do you do you think that um, is it a version of Manchester? I just wonder if you'd moved to Cardiff, or if you were in Dublin, or if you're in Belfast or London, you'd have written. Would it would it be the same book? 
Oh, no, I think it'd definitely be a different book. There is a, a feel of Manchester in it, particularly, I think, as, as I'm sort of going on throughout the book, it comes in more and more. Um, so I think it's, it's massive because I think Manchester does have a real, because I've been all over the country, I say gigging and stuff. I've lived in London and Birmingham and all these sort of things. And Manchester does have a sort of vibe to it. It, it really does. It kind of has a sort of defiance chippiness to it and a sense of humour that's very distinctive. You know, as Liverpool has one as well, different, but again, they both have very strong personalities. It's why they hate each other so much, is because they have very strong personalities. Um, and so I think it does, it definitely does play a part. And it was great to, you don't see that much, particularly in this area, maybe written where Manchester is a central part of the thing. And, you know, as you mentioned, TV and things, we signed a TV deal um, just for development, like, you know, you do with, with books. And a big part of it was, I did say, was ideally I'd like it to be in Manchester because <laughs> you do get all these different things. I won't mention any names, but we had a production company from some some pretty big names behind it. But their idea was, they sent me this email, that went, okay, here's the idea. It's going to be there, but puppets. I like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> puppets. I was like, Okay, um, and I remember my, my my agent went. Just look at the look at the trailer. No, I'm definitely looking at the trailer. And then it came back with it. Anyway, it's not right. He went, Did you ever look at the trailer? Uh, no, no, but no, not puppets. <laughs> but yeah. Well, so, I, but- I, I did. I did a. Uh, I had a book came out this year, and some of it is set in Coventry. And um, I did have a conversation with someone involved in the book somewhere who said. Mm, could it be London instead? Because no one really knows Coventry. Wow. And I said, well, no. I th- there's a specific reason that it has to be set in Coventry, as indeed people who got to the end will have yeah. uh, will have realised. Did you did you have... That's not just a gratuitous way of plugging my book <laughs> yes, okay. uh, when we're talking about your book, although, although it is. Did you have anyone at any stage say, great, uh, Cueve, like it, like the characters, we're going to do a great deal? Could it be London? No, I mean, uh, nobody actually, nobody tried to move the location, as I said, um, which is surprising given that puppets became an issue. But no, no one actually, now, I mean, don't get me wrong, in TV land, there's a very good chance if it ever comes to TV, it'll be set in New York. But um, <laughs> but um, no, I mean, nobody, I think most honest, most, most um, publishers and stuff, certainly Transworld they would sign with, they, they kind of liked the idea that it was, it was in Manchester and that could become a, a feature, uh, you know, because we read books up here as well, Simon, um, you know, so it's, it's, uh, no, excuse me, it wasn't, I, I'm not <laughs> saying that we're, you were, I know you cluster, were, cluster. it was absolutely not me. I'm just saying some of the media, it has been observed over the years is a little bit London centric. And is so it? therefore I wondered, they, I'll be honest, that's never come up up here all the time I've lived here. Uh, <laughs> It's Matt, amazing. Matt, they, they speak as, very, they, nothing but uh, very highly of, of London. I don't know where you're getting this from, Simon. As a Liverpudlian, yes, Matt was it a little bit too Mancunian for you? Yes, a little bit too much Manchester love in this book for my liking. But no, I, I well, I've uh, I've also uh, lived and worked in in Manchester during my time, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's clear that this is a place that you um, that you feel very strongly uh, attached to, Cueve, uh, and it's clearly a place that you love. And, and I yes. As much as I would uh, obviously uh, play up the Liverpool side, um, Manchester's a great city. Yeah, oh, I mean, they, they genuinely are. They're, they're two of the... Well, the reason I moved up here is when I did stand-up comedy, uh, Liverpool and Manchester were my two favourite cities to play in. Um, so Because they are... It's one of those things, you've never met an audience that if they like you... Actually, this is even more Liverpool, I'd say, than Manchester. If they like you, they love you. And if they don't, ooh... <laughs> 
there's yeah. there's nothing like a death that's in Liverpool. Honestly, you can ask any comedian. It's a very you, you remember your Liverpool death where you learn the lessons very well. I re- I really hope it's filmed in Aberystwyth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean that's. That's that's already been in my contract. It was, you know, that definitely need to yes. do that. Or Norwich, given how have this you, interview's gone. Yeah, yeah Norwich, yeah. Norwich, Norwich would Norwich Ger- would be great. Have German you cast, O'Leary have has you... to be in it with Anton Deck. That's all I've asked for. Because <laughs> have you cast Vincent and Hannah and uh, and the rest of them oh, in your I head? In in my head, I think there's definitely because uh, Vincent is is Irish, um, and I think probably. I know initially in the sitcom, um, sort of in my head was Dylan Morn. And I I think he probably still would be uh possibly him, even though the characters move away from it, it's certainly something he could do. Although weirdly, I say that now, Dylan I actually met him for the first time last year and he's an all time big hero of mine. And he's he's an incredibly clean living man these days. He's mm. he's 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 nowhere close to what Vincent Bancroft would be, you know, he used to be quite famous for having a drink and stuff on stage, and now he's he looks to the picture of, of sickening health he's incredibly he looks like a man who does pilates at this point but yeah certainly something like him i think you do it does help i mean when you write your book simon do you put people in your head in the characters you i tend i tend i tend not to really and then i get asked you know who do you imagine and usually i've imagined someone else altogether and i'm spending all my time thinking well maybe maybe her or maybe him but no i i, I genuinely don't think of specific people apart from when i wrote the itch books that first up I, I, there was an element i did in that but ever since i've been writing grown-up books i don't so i don't who, think it's who, very who helpful you have in your head when you were writing itch uh well no one for the kids but um <laughs> when there's a character uh who is the is the kind of the guy who sells he's like a beach bum yeah who sells the elements to to itch and that was definitely going to be Russell Brand. So, um, and Flower Dew, the bad guy, uh, was going to be Michael Sheen. Oh, yes. Uh, nice. you know, so, but, you know, so mean, he's, he's good in everything, so that's a guaranteed uh, good piece of casting for anything. Is The Stranger Times just going to take over the next five years of your life? Because it sounds as though you're set up that way, Queef. Um, I'll, I'll do other stuff, because I think I've got the kind of mind that always flies around. I've always sort of done different types of things but it's certainly it's going to be I think it's hopefully you know if people enjoy it it's going to be a big part of it I, I can honestly say I love writing it um, I've just you know because you know these things work I'm, I'm literally finishing the second book now and I've enjoyed writing that and I'm already excited about doing the next one and stuff and I mean it's weird because the, the the podcast was supposed to just be a couple of things and it's kind of grown and grown and so many people have done such a good job and I've actually had loads of comedians because unfortunately because of the year we're in, comedian friends of mine have got a lot of free time on their hands, unfortunately. That's right. So loads of them have sort of said, oh, I'll do one. I'd love to do one. Um, so, yeah, and to now I'm going to start writing some stories for specific comedians who've asked me, who basically said they'd love to do one. So I've got, I'm going to go, oh, be interesting to see what it'd be like writing a story for them. So I might end up, yeah, it may end up taking over now. Now I think about it. Yeah, no, it is. It's going to take up most of my life. That and walking the dog. I think that's what it'd be is. ironic, wouldn't it? If if the Virgin Mary and the Loch Ness monster kind of tri- no, there's. I was going to say, wow, with- I'm, the, the end of this sentence. <laughs> I'm not sure where he's heading with there this. There we go, everyone. Stay tuned. <laughs> I grew up in Ireland in the 1980s. Do you know how many moving statues we had? It was serious. If you could find one that was standing still, you had to take a picture of it to prove it happened. That's. It was the only thing I can remember from the 1980s in Ireland. We hadn't got much in the way of entertainment, but my God, the statues, boy, did they move. They moved far more than any of our football teams ever managed. Honestly, we should have picked a couple of them. 
Were they moving and bleeding at the same time? Oh, moving, bleeding, complaining. They were, but they're 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 Irish Catholic mammy statues. They're moving, they're bleeding. They go, oh, don't worry about me. No, I'm fine. No, it's just blood. Honestly, no. You take care of yourself. Don't you worry about it. Honestly, I'm fine. It's only a bit of blood. I died for your sins, but honestly, you go on, enjoy your lives. Uh, look out for the stranger times coming to a bookshop near you by C.K. McDonald. Queef, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, happy Christmas. Happy New Thanks, Year sir. to you. And to you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.